The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Every business needs capital, which means higher profits and lower expenses. Are you aware of the various opportunities available for your business in securing capital? Welcome to Small Business Capital America with Michael Schumacher. Michael and his guests, which include experts, suppliers, and thought leaders, will be discussing these options and solutions to help raise your bottom line. Now, here's your host, Michael Schumacher. Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of Small Business Capital America on the Voice America Network. I'm your host, Michael Schumacher. On our show, we discuss and we analyze the capital issues and challenges and opportunities for the businesses of Main Street, exploring the question, capital, rent it or print it? When I refer to the businesses of Main Street, I'm referring to small and mid-sized businesses in the United States with revenues from 10000 to $10 million per month. That's the audience for our show, and that's the audience for our business, BizDoc Consulting and BizDoc Capital Group. Capital is really the cash or the cash flow that is needed to operate a business. When I'm referring to rent with regard to that capital, I'm talking about borrowing it or getting a loan. I'm referring to debt capital. When I refer to print with regard to capital, I'm talking about profits, increasing sales, reducing costs, or ideally a combination thereof. As an entrepreneur, I fully understand the capital issues are, they're complex and they're dynamic. And the likely capital solution for most of us is a blend of rented and printed capital. And that blend or mix is going to change over time as our business changes. Internal and external factors affect our business. And we adjust our operating plans uh, on a regular basis, our sales plans on a regular basis to meet and to overcome those internal and external factors. Likewise, we need to continue to adjust our capital plan or that mix between rented and printed capital on an ongoing basis to meet those external and internal factors that are constantly changing. The entire concept of capital mix is that interaction between rented and printed capital. And it's really about leverage. Leverage is the most powerful thing in business. And when I say powerful, I mean powerful in a good way or powerful in a bad way, depending on how it's used. So leverage is very, very powerful, but we need to make sure we understand it and know what we're doing with regard to it. Let me give you an example. If you're a profitable business 
sales of, let's say, a million dollars a year and profits of a hundred million dollars a year, and you decide that if you had some additional capital, you could increase your sales and increase your profits because you would do some things that would increase those sales and reduce your expenses. So you're, you're looking very good, and you go out and you borrow that capital, that rented capital, and you execute on your plan, and you do increase your sales, and you reduce your expenses, thereby growing your profits. That is the perfect example of positive leverage. It doesn't get any better than that. On the other hand, if your business is losing money and you were to go out and get some rented capital to borrow more and you didn't have a plan nor execute a plan to increase your sales and or reduce your expenses, thereby improving your profitability position, you would be in a negative leverage position or you would actually make your situation worse. That's why it's so important whenever we're talking about capital to begin with a very clear picture of if we were to go out and get external capital, what would we use it for? How would we generate additional sales? Would we hire new people? Would we uh, use some technology to leverage our current relationships and sell more to them? Or how would we reduce our expenses? Are we looking at simply finding ways to just reduce our current expenses? Are we looking at finding ways to become more efficient through equipment or technology? These have to be well thought out and well executed whenever we get rented capital so that we do positive leverage and don't put ourselves in a worse position with negative leverage. And talk more about that as the show goes on, but that's powerful. Leverage is powerful. Leverage is good powerful or bad powerful, depending on how it's used. On our show, we talk about all things rented and printed capital as we move forward. What we don't do is we don't do politics and we don't do personal finance. Beyond that amazing reality for entrepreneurs that our business is the majority of our finances as a person. So... You know, we do touch on personal finance through our business, but not beyond that. On the show and in our business practice, we use a holistic approach to solving capital challenges. By that, I mean we try to look at how do we improve the printed capital and how do we make sure that the rented capital is positively leveraged. That's much more important than simply selling money or finding loans for people. So we try to take that holistic approach and make sure we're partnering for the right solution for the entrepreneur. Some key topics for today's show would include banks and fintechs. What does the future hold for those two? There's an interesting survey out there And I'd like to walk through some of the results of that survey because I think it helps us understand the direction and maybe the magnitude of what's happening in this arena. Remember, all of our capital flows through banks and fintech companies. So, you know, it's important that we understand how that flow works and we make sure that we're planning to be successful within that flow. We're going to spend some time on internal and external capital 
and this concept of starting with that goal in mind. It's so fundamental, yet so powerful, that I want to make sure we continue to spend time on it as our shows move forward. We also want to spend a little bit of time talking about what is a term sheet or a letter of interest, letter of intent, or funding proposal, and how does that compare to a contract? What are the steps in each? We're going to talk about due diligence, and and we'll talk about it from the lender perspective, of course, at the end of the show, as we always do. But I also want to talk about due diligence from a client's perspective, because you need to be performing due diligence also and make sure you understand what's going on within your transaction. We want to talk about the lender, broker, syndicator, so these parties and, and, and who are involved in the flow of capital. And we want to do that from the perspective of, I call it, follow the money. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. We're going to spend some time talking about why do deals or transactions fail to happen. And then we're going to talk about why do deals or transactions succeed. This is not meant to be critical. This is meant to help you with some insight in your own future fundings. I want to take a little sidebar at some point in the show, and I want to talk about the concept of whiteboarding and a tool called Achieve It, and we'll kind of put these in the printed capital arena. We're going to spend time talking about cash or revenue advances. They're so prevalent today. I mean, it just seems like daily. I'm in the business, and daily I get calls for cash advances offering them to me uh, and, and it's, it's just very prevalent and it can be very very challenging it can also be an opportunity but we want to make sure we understand the pitfalls because they're out there and we want to walk through very carefully I'm going to ask your input on our show about future shows and how we might best format those to provide ongoing information for you as an entrepreneur. I also want to make sure I spend time talking about what we do at BizDoc Consulting and BizDoc Capital Group and how we work with companies to grow rented and printed capital and do it in that holistic approach. Finally, as time permits, we're going to spend some time talking about some of the key terms in the capital arena. There's so many times that, you know, we're so involved in our business and what we do. We know the nomenclature and we know the terminology within our business. But then we get off on, you know, looking for funding for our business and people throw terms out at us and we're maybe not sure what they mean or maybe we misunderstand what they mean. And that can cause confusion. It can also cause us some distress. So, We want to make sure that within our show, we're presenting opportunities for you to really understand what those terms are. As I said, there was a survey done recently exploring banks and fintech companies and their relationship and how they go forward. I've talked about it on the show before, but I want to make sure that there's some clarity here. 
We all understand banks and, and the traditional bank of the 80s, the 90s, and, and before that. Um, they're a little bit different in, uh, in our current decade as we've survived the crash of 2007 and, and banking has certainly changed. It's, uh, it's much more regulated. It's what I would describe as much more conservative and I would even go as far as to say not very entrepreneurial friendly. And in that void, companies have arisen called fintech companies. And the perfect description of a fintech company, I think, is that intersection between finance and technology that drives cost out of a transaction, theoretically, and improves speed. That's fintech. So we're going to explore an article by Open Mobile Media is the name of the company. And they did a recent survey exploring what's going on here. So a couple of bold statements they make in the very beginning. First one is, in 2015, the Wall Street Journal said, relationship between banks and fintechs is complicated. Well, that's bold, but to some degree, isn't that to be expected as they compete for the same space? Fintechs have taken up where banks have left off or been forced to leave off. And so there's a natural competition between them. At the same time that there's a competition between them, to some degree they complement each other because where banks have been successful in transactional activity, your checking account, your savings account, and fintechs are more successful in some of the other activities, they are creeping in on each other's space and there's a natural competition and also a complement. So where is that going to go? We're going to talk about that. We're about time for our first break here. So we're going to take a break and then we'll be back and we'll spend a little bit more time on this survey about banks and fintech companies and explore the rest of our show. I do look forward to seeing you on the other side. In the meantime, I just want to remind you, BizDoc Capital Group or BizDoc Consulting are available toll-free at 844-249-3621. Again, toll-free, 844-249-3621. And we're always available to spend the time to learn about your individual situation in your business and how all the tools in our toolbox might come together for the right holistic approach customized for your business. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. BizDoc Capital Group was founded in 2007 and is committed to the success of small and mid-cap enterprises. BizDoc provides innovative, fast, affordable business financing solutions and saving solutions to small and mid-cap businesses. We tailor solutions to meet your business needs. Our solutions include term loans, lines of credit, equipment financing, commercial real estate financing, tax savings programs, and business expense savings programs. For more information, 
information, visit bizdoccapital.com. Again, bizdoccapital.com. Did you know where you bank really matters? Values-based banking is a growing, global, viable alternative to the current banking system. Find out how you can join, share, and participate in a positive money movement that is designed to put the power back in your pockets. Listen for Building Banking on Values with host Linda Ryan. Your money matters. There is a solution, and you can be a part of something greater. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's about a different kind of banking. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to mschumacher at biz.capital.com. That's mschumacher at bizdoccapital.com. Now, back to Small Business Capital America. Welcome back to our second segment of this week's episode of Small Business Capital America. Again, you can reach BizDoc at 844-249-3621 to discuss your individual business needs and how we might be able to help you with rented and printed capital in a solution designed for your business and your need and what works for you in driving your capital forward. We were discussing before the break a recent survey by Open Mobile Media analyzing what's happening between banks and fintech companies. Since most of the commerce moves through, all commerce almost moves through banks and fintech companies, and I say all, we're going to go back to that in a minute, it's really important that we as entrepreneurs understand how that money flows and have insight into the people who manage that flow. So that's why we're talking about this today. It's really to paint that picture for you of capital markets and some of the changes that are happening. In the survey, uh, two other bullet points that were really important, then we'll get into the meat of the survey. 53% of industry executives in the banking industry believe that 2016, 2017, will be the year or years of big partnerships. So, you know, banks and fintechs have this really complicated relationship. And uh, we talked about them as competitors before the break. And we talked about some of the complementary things that they do. And so most executives, more than 50%, believe that we're going to see lots of partnerships popping up over the next 12 to 18 months between Banks and fintech companies. 83% of those surveyed expect mobile to be their primary channel of development going forward. Maybe not their primary channel of activity right away, but their primary channel of development. So those are some powerful takeaways. Mobile is really important, and we're going to continue to see banks and fintech companies sort of merged together in partnerships. 
I'm going to go into the details of the survey, but I want to jump in with my own perspective here. Now, this is not part of the survey. This is my perspective on what's happening. I'm going to tell you that fintechs are making great strides in managing cash flow or capital and helping small businesses. However, I know one thing. Banks are not going to go quietly into the night. They're large, sophisticated organizations, probably too complex, not a lot of technology yet, but they hold, passing through them, the bulk of the world's capital or cash. So they're not going to go quietly into the night, but they are going to adapt, and the partnerships seem like a very good way for them to adapt more quickly than they have and with less risk. So I do really think that we're going to see those partnerships. When we talk about fintech, many people think, well, you know, what happened to the relationship with your banker? And I'll tell you, I don't think the relationship part of finance is dead. If I thought that, I probably wouldn't continue in this industry because as an entrepreneur, it doesn't make a lot of sense unless I can gain some technological advantage if technology is all that drives a business. But unfortunately for technology or the challenge for technology is we're operated by human beings who have human beings for customers and clients. And we have very unique needs and it's very complex and tough to predict with algorithms people. So the relationship part of finance is not done. And I encourage you to understand that you still need to have those financial relationships, even though technology is assisting to make that happen. It's really a matter of the carpenter versus his tools. So the carpenter is really the guy you have the relationship. The tools are the technology that's coming into play to allow us to become more efficient, more cost-effective, hopefully, and also quicker in what we do. Important to understand that relationship. I'm going to jump now into the survey in in some depth here and uh, make sure we understand it. So over 300, actually 320 banking professionals were surveyed to to get these results. And uh, the first question that was explored is, what best describes the business that these bankers are in? So about 20% of them were in fintech. 20% of them were in more traditional banking, and 20% of them were solutions providers and or consultants, the ever-growing consultant, if you would. Um, Then 16% of them were solution providers, uh, very, very specifically product development and design, mostly in the mobile arena. Uh, About 14% of them were in payment processing or some kind of online payment activity. Um... 4% of them were in security or biometrics. 4% of them were in mobile bank only. That's interesting. Um, Just 4% of them in mobile bank only, yet 83% of the respondents felt like mobile was going to be a huge area of investment and resource going forward. So that's a very powerful thought process. How do you connect 
you only have 4% of the people in the survey were in that business, yet 83% of the people surveyed think it's a very important piece going forward that needs a lot of research and a lot of development activity. Uh, 1% of the people were in digital wallet space and 1% were in analytics or data management, big data if you would. That's, uh, that's sort of the respondent. So we get when we start with that information, we sort of understand their perspective a little bit, and that helps us understand the responses and put them in perspective. They asked uh, which person or which option best describes your job function. So 32% of the people were in payment technology within their businesses, 30% in strategy, 28% from product development, 6% identified themselves as other, and another 4% were in risk management or security. So now we know the types of businesses they came from and the types of jobs they have within those businesses. This is important to understand the results. So key findings within the survey, uh, the key areas of focus and opportunity in 2016 will be so 31% of the respondents said it is mobile innovation and customer experience. That is the biggest area of focus and opportunity, mobile and the customer experience. 23% big data. So big data and analytics are the next highest opportunity of focus. Application, program interfaces, 18%. Biometrics is 15%, so just 4% of the people were from biometrics companies or less, and 15% is the impact or how much opportunity and focus there will be. And finally, movement to the cloud is about 10%, while developing separate ops is um, 3%. So it gives us some perspective. This mobile comes right through. Big data comes right through. Those two pieces make up more than half of the opportunity and focus going forward. Another question was asked are, what are some of the buzzwords for 2016 in the world of banking? So FinTech was one. We already talked about FinTech, the merger or the intersection of finance and technology. Um, They talked about the customer journey so we're really getting into the customer service and customer orientated. Talked about your digital identity, sort of a security focus and an integration focus. Uh, another big word were unbanked analytics. I Googled this one, by the way. And that is understanding from those who do not use banks at all what's going on. So there are still people out there not using banks. Maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but we want to understand that and learn from it. Talked about omni-channel is a big buzzword for banking going forward. And omni-channel is that, um, this is my interpretation, it's that seamless customer experience, whether you're talking to somebody at the bank live, you're on hold at customer service, you're online at the bank's application, you're on their mobile site, you want a seamless experience. So no matter what channel, omni-channel, no matter what channel of distribution you're interacting with your bank, you want the same kind of experience. Big buzzwords. 
The next question that was asked is, how will the banking ecosystem shift and develop in the next three to five years? Well, they believe 53% of the respondents believe that there will be plenty of mergers, acquisitions, and partnerships between banks and fintechs. So this is traditional banks gaining access to that finance technology intersection, that speed, that efficiency that's happening in fintech, and fintech companies gaining access to that robust capital available to banks. So I don't think there'll be outright acquisitions. I may be wrong here, but there are more partnerships. In other words, how can banks use fintech companies' tools, resources, their software, their technology, their business processes, and how can fintech companies better access the capital that's available in banks? The next one is, uh, I found probably one of the bigger takeaways, and that is 17% of the respondents expect established players like Facebook, Google, and Microsoft to enter the fa- financial markets and create permanent chains. change. Excuse me. So now we've got the biggies, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, the big tech companies going to enter fintech and maybe even quasi into the banking industry. 18% believe in a continued batter between finance and banks. So there's going to be that continual push and shove. While just 2% believe that cryptocurrency and blockchain technology will completely wipe out the need for banks of any time. So cryptocurrency, that's the online or digital dollars, if you would, 2% of the people surveyed, so if there's 320, that's six or so people believe that they have a chance to wipe out the need for banks of any time. I doubt that is possible, but I guess it's out there. I do think that cryptocurrency and blockchain will gain momentum. Where that leaves off, I don't know. 83% of those surveyed say there will be said mobile will be their main channel of focus for 2016. That blew me away. 83% said mobile's their main focus. We know where this is going. We got to make sure we understand how that fits our business and impacts our business. There's really no consensus on the future of brick and mortar banks, they say. Um, 34% said they'd be closing and reducing the numbers. 44% said they'd just go invent new services. 22% thought they'd upgrade. So just all over the board, no consensus. Um, 44.8% said uh, that mobile banking will increase by less than 50% and 40.4% said it's going to increase by more than 50%. So you've got 83% of the focus on that channel, but not quite half the people believe that it'll end up being more than 50% of the activity. And uh, finally, how soon is cryptocurrency believed to become mainstream? Uh, 39.1% of the bell curve looking at this believe that between 2019 and 2022, cryptocurrency will become mainstream. So if I did my math right, in the next three to, five, three to six years, 39% of the respondents felt like 
cryptocurrency would become mainstream. It's time for our next break. I'll see you on the other side. In the meantime, please remember you can always call us toll-free at 844-249-3621. That's BizDoc Capital Group and BizDoc Consulting. So we can examine and explore with you your individual capital needs and what capital solutions would fit. What is the right tool or tools for your need? I'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. BizDoc Capital Group was founded in 2007 and is committed to the success of small and mid-cap enterprises. BizDoc provides innovative, fast, affordable business financing solutions and saving solutions to small and mid-cap businesses. We tailor solutions to meet your business needs. Our solutions include term loans, lines of credit, equipment financing, commercial real estate financing, tax savings programs, and business expense savings programs. For more information, visit bizdoccapital.com. Again, bizdoccapital.com. Savvy business owners, learn how auspicious timing can have a positive influence on business decisions and strategies. You can achieve your goals while creating a competitive edge in your given field. Tune into Illuminating Feng Shui with host Kathleen Zamansky, where classical feng shui and Chinese metaphysics work together to help you discover your strengths and use them at the right times. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to mschumacher at biz.capital.com. That's mschumacher at bizdoccapital.com. Now, back to Small Business Capital America. Welcome back to our third segment of this week's show, Small Business Capital America. I want to spend some time on this segment talking about internal and external capital formation. What I do in my business practice at BizDoc is I spend about 60 to 70 hours a week working with entrepreneurs and individual business owners helping them to form capital through internal and external means. So this is real important to me. And and I think the biggest takeaway I can share with you today is that you need to start when you're going to get capital with a specific goal or outcome in mind. What is it you want to use that capital for? Before you even think about getting the capital or the cost of capital, let's understand if you had capital, what would you use it for? How would you leverage that? So by leveraging, you want to take your external capital and multiply your internal capital or profits. So it's real important that we begin there. And it's not just enough to say, 
I wish to increase my sales or I wish to reduce my expenses. You really need to understand that I am going to increase my my revenue or my sales by, for example, hiring sales staff or training sales staff or purchasing a CRM, customer relationship manager, to help me manage my customers. It might be a matter of selling more products using technology to my existing customers. Another form of leverage, by the way. So we already have customers. We work hard to acquire them. Why not sell them more products when they're happy with us as as suppliers? So understanding this benefit, whether it be increasing sales or reducing expenses, perhaps we want to hire some or get some machinery that's going to help us reduce our expenses. Or maybe it's a technology that's going to help us reduce our expenses. Or maybe by putting in some additional supervision, we can manage our labor differently. Whatever it is, we need to financially quantify what is the benefit or the outcome that we're expecting from this capital. And until you've clearly put a number to that and a plan to that, it doesn't do a lot of good to start going out there and looking for capital. Remember, I deal with this in every day, every day, and I can tell you that's the challenge that we face many times is people haven't explored that yet. So once you have that outcome in mind and you've got a positive outcome you're going to get in your mind, pictured and planned for increasing your printed capital by using rented capital, then we want to go through and we want to sort of methodically look at how can we get that capital? I'm, I'm going to break this down into three basic areas. The first area we want to look at is how to fill in our capital with free quasi-internal capital. So this would be things like third-party savings programs. We have programs that, I mean, we have dozens of them. We have programs that explore how to reduce your, reduce your health insurance costs. I'm not talking about necessarily just switching suppliers or putting them out for bid, but how to truly go in and reduce your health care costs and still provide good benefit to your employees. That's a powerful place to start. And many times that doesn't cost you anything to do other than getting to the right people who can help you. Credit card processing. Are there ways to improve your costs in credit card processing? Maybe it's parcel shipping. You ship a lot of packages. Maybe it's cell phone usage. Maybe it's your waste management costs. Maybe it's your utility costs. But we want to explore all these options that are quasi-free to generate that capital. And once that quasi-free are, all of these programs that we offer, and there are other people offering similar programs, are free in the sense that we don't charge you unless we save you money. So if you don't have the savings to get today and you pay us a part of the savings you get in the future and you keep part, to me, that's free capital right there. And that's the perfect place to start. Some of the other areas where there's free capital are within tax mitigation strategies, whether it be property taxes, depreciation, acceleration, Uh, some credits to your income taxes by jobs creation or maybe training 
or these other areas. But these are dollars that we can help you find that are already there. You don't have to do much, but let us do our work. We share in the savings. You're better off, and it didn't cost you anything to get that done. So always start with your free internal capital. The second place you want to go for capital is to look at other internal capital. Because remember, we want to make sure that that printed capital is there first before we start leveraging it. So there is a lot of resources out there that can help you grow your revenue or reduce your costs. Let's well, things like CEO peer groups. Have you ever thought about that concept? Um, you go out and you work with other CEOs in your marketplace or maybe not in your marketplace and you learn from each other, you help each other, and you hold each other accountable through monthly meetings and one-offs that help you learn, learn from each other, gain value from each other, quasi-board of directors, if you would. Nobody quite understands what an entrepreneur goes through like another entrepreneur. And so learning and growing with them is really a neat opportunity. That's one way. Uh, there's, there's many others that we could talk about, but I just want to make sure that you're exploring that grow revenue. And then we're going to take another look at, is there any other way that I can reduce costs someplace um, already on the table without getting capital? So you want to make sure that uh, you're looking at those opportunities. We do a lot of work in turnarounds and renewal. Uh, renewal is basically a turnaround for a company that's not struggling yet, but doesn't want to struggle in the future. So we just want to kind of renew that energy and we want to look at those costs. A, a real nice starting point in that type of exploration is just to take a look and quantify how your financial results compare to others in your industry. Gain a benchmark of what should I be doing or what could I be doing from a revenue and a cash standpoint based on what others in the market are doing, other people who do what I do. And once you've done that and you kind of get a feel for it, you're not going to argue whether one's better or one's worse. You're going to say, how are other businesses in my industry able to do this or that? And what could I do differently by doing that? Remember, it's only a starting point. You're going to identify areas of opportunity and then dig in and find the solutions. We're there to help with that kind of work. External capital is the next place we go. So we looked at the free internal capital or quasi-free. Then we looked at other internal capital opportunities. And now we're looking at external capital to begin the multiplier. And when we're doing this, we've talked about this in the past, but I really like to reinforce it. We want to match your situation with the right solution. Remember, this is about tools in the toolbox and using the right tool for the right job. Not every job is a hammer job, okay? We need to make sure that we use the right tool or the right form of capital, if you would, to multiply. There are, I say there's three forms of capital, but at the end of the day, there's really three forms of, five forms of external capital, excuse me. So the first form of external capital is asset-based lending. That's where you have assets with equity in them and you're able to secure a loan, which is secured by those assets, okay? 
It could be real estate, it could be receivables, it could be equipment, it could be inventory, it could be some other type of asset that maybe is a little harder to value, but can still be valued. So there's value or equity there, and you get a loan against it. The next form or type of external capital is cash flow based. So this is where you receive a loan based on your monthly cash flows. It's really about a focus on does your cash flow support the future debt that you're talking about taking on? That's the question that gets answered in that kind of capital. The third kind of capital category that we have is credit-based. So this is simply your business pays its bills really well and your FICO score is high. Therefore, we have access to some capital for you that is really based solely on your credit. The power or the leverage within what we do comes when we use asset-based lending, cash flow-based lending, and credit-based lending together to find a real optimal cash flow, excuse me, an optimal capital solution that fits your situation and your need. There's two other kinds of capital that are out there, and uh, I'm going to be a little bit blunt about this next one don't normally do this, but I want to make sure that we get it out there. This is what I call the dream capital. And, and this is really somebody who has an idea, but no assets, no cash flow, and no credit. So with that, you're really talking about a dream. And to convert that dream into actual capital, you're going to need to have either a way to start off small and grow, or you're going to have to bring in an equity partner. Equity is the most expensive form of capital you'll ever have. Mm -hmm. Remember, when you rent capital, your relationship lasts until you pay it off. However, when you take on a partner, they're there for ever, at least until your partnership agreement or your equity arrangement allows for that to be terminated. And that means you've got somebody involved in the decision-making. You've got somebody who expects a higher rate of return because they've got a higher risk because as the equity member, they're not secured. So equity is the most expensive form of capital. So we always try and start with other forms of capital first. I know people think equity is cheap because the cash flow impact on equity. If you're not making any profits, there's no cash flow impact. However, long term, it is absolutely the most expensive form of capital you'll have. It's time for our third and final break. I will definitely see you on the other side. But once again, I remind you, BizDoc Capital is available to discuss your individual situation and help you with capital solutions. Please call us toll free at 844-249-3621. I'll see you on the other side of break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
BizDoc Capital Group was founded in 2007 and is committed to the success of small and mid-cap enterprises. BizDoc provides innovative, fast, affordable business financing solutions and saving solutions to small and mid-cap businesses. We tailor solutions to meet your business needs. Our solutions include term loans, lines of credit, equipment financing, commercial real estate financing, tax savings programs, and business expense savings programs. For more information, visit bizdoccapital.com. Again, bizdoccapital.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to mschumacher at biz.capital.com. That's mschumacher at bizdoccapital.com. Now, back to Small Business Capital America. Welcome back to our final segment of this week's edition of Small Business Capital America. I'm going to talk a little bit now about what is a term sheet, a funding proposal, or a letter of interest or letter of intent, LOI. It's really an expression by a lender that they are interested in funding a particular project. That is a non-binding agreement that typically identifies the terms, the rate, the amount, and the timetable for a potential funding. It is the lender expressing their, in- expressing their interest, asking for the borrower, or potential borrower, to acknowledge that and say that, yes, if you can perform under those terms, we would like to move forward with a funding. The next step in a funding, once you have a term sheet funding proposal or LOI signed, is a funding contract. That's the actual legally binding lending agreement. Once that's executed, the funding actually happens. Until that's executed, the funding doesn't happen. So I'm always curious about situations where a client gets a funding contract too soon because that is a bit of a red flag in that they got the term sheet, they agree to that. If they get the funding contract right away, what happened to the due diligence? And due diligence is about mitigating risk in a transaction. So if you're not mitigating risk, then that would be an indicator to me that there's a fairly high reward or a high cost to that. So 
beware if you get a funding contract too soon, uh, within moments. Also beware if you get a funding contract without even having a letter of interest or a term sheet. And is that funding contract at that point really binding because there'll be some things called stipulations still in there. So you want to make sure that you understand that. This is all part of, as a borrower, doing your own due diligence. And in this case, due diligence is about research. It's about finding the truth to the best of your ability. And truth, at the end of the day, equals reliable Reliability plus accuracy. So what do I mean by that? Reliability is about if you were to check something on a number of different sources, would you come back with similar or the same results? So how reliable or repeatable are the results of your research? The other part of truth is about accuracy. So are you measuring the right thing? When you're doing research on a lender, are you looking at the right things to measure? Um, If you're looking at their social media, that might not be an accurate way to understand their capacity to function in your loan. So you need both. Truth can't be had without reliable and accurate information and research. That's why it's very important. I always thought of Google as fairly simple. I just type in a couple of words and it gives me back some results and I might have to scroll a few pages. But that was my simplistic view of Google. Obviously, it's much more complex than that. There's a lot more going on than that. And I ran across an author in a book recently that I want to throw out there for you. The author's name is Steven Spencer, and his book is Google Power Search. It's published by O'Reilly and available uh, on a number of different websites. But in Steven's book, and by the way, he has several books out there. Uh, this is one that is real readable and, and I think just poignant for, you know, if you want a quick resource to help you, Google. And he really touches on eight subjects within the book to help you Google. And I would imagine it's like a 50, 60-page book, so a quick reference guide. He really talks about refining your searches, you know, using multiple words, understanding case sensitivity, superfluous words, exact phrases, word ordering, uh, the singular versus plural, how to use a wild card, a number range, punctuation, accents, Boolean logic, uh, stemming, synonyms. And in a couple of pages, he covers all these in a way that I could understand it as a non-tech guy and I could go out and use it, which I did go out and use it. He's also going to talk about Google search operators, which are further tools to refine your search. He goes into initial market research using Google. Uh, Pretty powerful thing. We're all trying to understand markets. Uh, He talks about understanding the breadth and depth of Google. So everything from Google Desktop to Google Books to Google Scholar to Google News. He talks about forming a good research strategy using Google. And he also talks about a little bit more the technical side of research and some of the idiosyncrasies of different tools. So powerful book. Uh, I encourage you to pick it up. Again, uh, Google 
Power Search, The Essential Guide to Finding Anything Online with Google, Stephen Spencer. A great way to go out and do your own due diligence, which, again, I've encouraged you to do. So what makes uh, a deal succeed and what makes a deal uh, not succeed? I think we'll, uh, we're going to have to save those for another episode. But I want to spend a few minutes talking about the cash advances and cash or revenue advances that are out there today. These are very fast, very expensive, very short-term funding solutions that simply take a look at your monthly deposits, your deposit history, and your time at business and advance you a percentage of your monthly deposits and have you pay that back over anywhere from three months to a year. Um, It's expensive. There is no prepayment discount. So if you were to pay early, you still have to pay in full. Um, And it's very short term. You've got to pay the whole thing back amortized over a short period of time. This creates a tremendous cash flow crunch if you're not prepared going into it by understanding what you want to accomplish with your capital funding. So I know we all get pinged and we all get emailed and we all get called on these. Make sure you've identified your benefit of capital before going down this road. I enjoyed my time with you today. I look forward to hearing from you individually. Please call us at BizDoc toll-free, 844-249-3621 to have a detailed conversation about your individual business and your individual business need. And we look forward to that at 844-249-3621. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune into Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Best wishes, and we'll talk again next week.